manifested in this place. A house of healing, rivers of healing, God, flowing through this place for physical torment, for physical torment. Or to just call out migraine headaches right now, God. You're healing migraine headaches. You're healing that, God, in this place. That's who you are. I declare Psalm 23, you anoint our heads with oil and our cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Thank you, Lord, for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you guys for joining this morning to be in his presence. I just love the presence of, of God this morning. I feel his, just the weightiness of the Lord. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that so much can happen in just one encounter with you. One encounter. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being with us this morning. Uh, my name's Chris, and um, I see that... Uh, the hungry have came. Thank you so much. I hope all of your homes are okay from last night. Uh, I seem to have brought a tornado with me when I came. So um, we were joking earlier about Dr. Brian Simmons. He comes and the lights go out, but I did a better party trick. I actually made a tornado come. And, and uh, No, I don't take credit for that, especially for the homes that we drove by with some of the trees over them. I thought, wow, it's crazy. Uh, power went out last night. And, um it was still out this morning at the hotel. So, But I hope you guys are, are well and all of your loved ones are okay and um, you're not having any terrible first world problems like no electricity, to be honest with you. Coming from New Orleans, it's kind of a normal thing to not have electricity, especially during hurricane season because we're just used to not having power for weeks at a time. Um, it reminded me of Ida. As a matter of fact, I was supposed to be here two years ago and had to cancel because Hurricane Ida swept through New Orleans and completely destroyed so much. And um, so we fed, we did like, I think we did 30,000 hot meals in two or in 10 days. It was incredible. So we, we fed the city. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, so I'm glad to be with you guys. If you would, th there's a few of us. I, I would love to just teach you from the book of Samuel today, if that's okay. And um, I believe we'll break at lunch and then we'll come back at two, right? So I would love to teach you guys um, from the book of Samuel. And it looks like I have time, so I hope you don't have anywhere to go because this is about a three-hour teaching. Just kidding. Um, but I'm actually um, working on something. So I'm going to test it on you guys. I'm going to use you guys as guinea pigs today because I'm going to be um, doing an entire expose and study 
that I'm releasing soon on the book of 1 Samuel. And it is really just a deep dive into the book of 1 Samuel. And I think the reason I love this book so much is because it's not a book that I've read a lot and just studied a lot, but it's a book I feel like in some parts I've lived. And for me personally, it, it, much probably like you, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you understand that you know, you've heard a lot of the scribes and the Pharisees You've heard a lot of teaching. We've heard a lot of the stuff. There's a lot of great teaching. But I don't think that we have a problem with um, receiving information. I think we have a problem with um, actually doing. And so we, we get a lot of teaching. But I, I feel like the biggest thing the Lord deals with me is on is making the word flesh. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was the word made flesh. And I think so often we talk about things that we are ethereal or they're philosophical, theological, but they're not real. In other words, you haven't lived the thing you're talking about. You know, you can talk about it all day, but have you lived it? And I feel like for me, this book has been so precious to me because um, the Lord in various seasons has invited me to live the scriptures out of 1 Samuel. Um, none more than 1 Samuel 10, of course, where the prophets are on the hill and there's prophet musicians playing music and God has totally shifted our lives from that scripture. And so I love the book of Samuel and I love the picture we get. Um, and I want to dive in to this uh, briefly. So let's just, let's just jump in. And, and what we'll do is we'll kind of actually start in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And we'll start in verse 1, because I feel like verse 1 almost gives us an aerial view of the nation of Israel at the time. And what I'm going to talk about um, this morning is, from the book of 1 Samuel, is how a region can be changed, how a region can be changed through worship, okay, and through pure worship. And what happens when the priests, you, what happens when the priesthood, you, the worshipers, you, when we go astray, that's me too, those on stage, off stage, it doesn't matter. But what happens when the priesthood goes astray? What happens when worshipers become narcissistic rather than self-giving? And if you think, well, that's not me, I love to worship, I'm glad. But I would, I would just offer this tidbit for you. Meditate on this for a moment with me. So often we judge worship, don't we, in church? We judge worship by how it made us feel. And although it's not a bad question to say, hey, how was worship? You know, what we're really asking is, hey, was worship good? Was worship, you know, it's, it's a common cultural thing. Some of you might even do it without even thinking about it after this meeting. So you might talk to someone, yeah, I went to Gateway this morning. Well, how was it? And you tell them how the meeting was. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, you know, picking a fight or grinding my ax on some small semantic what I am doing, however, is maybe causing us to look a little deeper into how we do worship because you often hear the question, hey, how was worship? And according to how we felt God moved or more importantly, how it moved us, we say worship was great this morning. Well, why was it great? Well, God showed up. Oh, that's awesome. And so we have this idea that worship wasn't great if we didn't feel God doing something, correct? So really, I want to follow this trail of thought. I want to extrapolate this idea, which really is if worship is judged or gauged by how it makes us feel, then really worship is not worship at all because 
The only one who can judge the worship is the one who the worship is intended for. He judges the worship, not us. Does that make sense? So if we judge the worship, we're really saying, listen, worship was great because I got goosebumps. I got blasted. I cried. I rolled on the floor. They had to put a modesty covering over me because my underwear was showing. You know, the whole thing, right? You ain't, in, you ain't been in Pentecostal church long enough, have you? If your butt crack ain't showed, then you ain't never really got touched by the Holy Ghost. You understand? If, I, if we don't have to throw modest, modesty cloth over you, you ain't really ever been touched by the Holy Ghost. Shot that on my head. So the point is, is, you know, those things happen in worship, and we think, oh, man, worship was amazing. Worship was great because I felt God. You know, something began to shift in me uh, when I realized that worship was really not about how it made me feel, but the question I began asking myself that God led me in this train of thought was after worship is finished, I asked God, how was worship? How was worship, Lord? And I asked myself, did I pour myself out upon him? In other words, the posture of the true priest does not say, was worship good because it pleased me or I got a goosebump, but worship was good because God was worshiped. God was worshiped truly and fully, even if I felt nothing. And so I've had a posture of heart to come before the Lord and worship, guys, and really it's a serious business. Worship is a serious business. So often we drag in late for worship. We, we think worship as more of the appetizer, the warm-up to the Word, right? And the Word has had a high place in our evangelical Christian culture of, of America for the last, you know, at least 100 years, and, and that's a wonderful thing. We, we value the Word highly. The Word is everything. But, you know, at the same time, the Word is to make us into more wholehearted, surrendered worshipers. So the real meat of this thing is, are you a worshiper? And not just here when the music's playing, but are you a worshiper when you're at work? Are you a worshiper when you're doing what God's called you to do? Whether you're at home with kids, whether you're working at a Fortune 500 company, or you're a businessman, or you're this or that. Are, is, is everything you do worship? And it starts here. It really does. The, the, it starts with, with, with this place. And so I've had the posture of heart to say, God, I don't care if I feel you, but you're going to feel me. You're going to feel me. You're going to feel me. I don't care, Lord, if I get goosebumps during this worship time, but you're going to get goosebumps. Because you know something that's really crazy and really interesting? And uh, I don't know how, how real I want to dive into this because I can get thrown out of church pretty quick. But, you know, I, I realized something. In marriage, I've realized that as I grow, and by the way, before you think I'm some virtuous husband, we can call my wife right now and she'll let you know that's not true. But I do have moments of glory. I do. I have moments. I have moments where I do it right, you know. I'm, I'm almost 15 years into to marriage uh, with three kids and I'm finally just now, 15 years, I'm learning finally that she really doesn't want a solution. I'm just supposed to listen, and then I hold her, and I do that. And all of those things are completely contrary to what I naturally want to do, of course. I want to give solutions. I want to stop the tears. Let's stop. Let's get that, first of all. You know, my wife will tell you, when a woman starts crying, I get very awkward and tense. I don't know what to do with my hands. I just want to leave this place. But I'm growing, and I've come to realize in marriage that Something is shifting in me 
when you're in a healthy relationship where it's almost more enjoyable to see them happy and at peace and doing what they're called to do. It's almost more enjoyable to see her thriving than it would be to even see myself in that place. And again, before you think I'm some virtuous husband, you're wrong. I'm just going to kill that. I'm not, okay? But I've realized that. And you know, I've, the Lord spoke to me about this in worship. He said, Chris, you know just how fun it is to get in my presence, how you love my presence. You love when my presence comes and it's glory. And have you guys ever been in a worship service where the worship was so incredible that nobody wanted to leave afterwards? The presence of God, you know the party's good when no one wants to leave. You know what I mean? And I always say, like, I don't know how many of you had days before Jesus, but I definitely did have days before Jesus. And, um, and I'm, I'm a party animal, man. I'd go for it. I was a wild boy. I'm a third-generation heathen. Some people are third-generation pastors. I'm a third-generation heathen. And I, I, I remember those parties, man. You just didn't want to leave. And I love the presence of God when it comes because it's the truest, purest, unadulterated, concentrated form of joy and access to that place that we can have. When the presence of God comes in our midst, isn't it just electric? Isn't it wonderful? And you don't want to leave. You just want to talk to people. I love you, man. You know, you have a few drinks and people, I love you, man. You're my best friend. That's the presence does that too. It does, but just in a better way because you don't have a hangover in the morning. You feel better. And so, you know, it's wonderful because you get in the presence and you go, I love you, man. I just, you're the best. I love you. you. You know why? Because his love is here and his presence is here. And the Lord told me, he said, Chris, as excited as you are to get into my presence is as excited as I am when I get into yours. And the same joy you have in worship to encounter me is the same joy I feel when you come near to me in worship, I get just as excited as you do. Think about that. Because do you know what intimacy is? It's mutual delight. True intimacy is mutual delight. I mean, I don't want to get too, you know, X-rated here, even though the Bible beats me at that a lot of times. But when you think about true intimacy between a husband and a wife, you come to realize, and in our generation of men, the generation coming up of men, who a lot of these men have been raised on pornography, they have, it is an absolute opposite perversion of what God wants. We have men being raised to think sexuality looks like that, and it could not be further from the real truth. You know what I'm saying? I, I know my, my point is true heights of intimacy are when there is mutual delight. When you enjoy God's presence, it's not just God going, Okay, here you go. I'll come. Yes, I see you there. Yes. He doesn't, you know, coming in on a rope. Yes, I see you. Hi, hi, how are you? He's not waving to the, I've graced you with my presence. Of course the Lord graces us with his presence, but it's not like that because we know how God is because we know who Jesus is as represented in the Gospels. If you want to know what God is like, learn about Jesus because Jesus is what God is really like. That, there you go. If you want to know what God's like, he's like Jesus. He doesn't come in a robe surrounded by thousands of, 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 of troops and on a giant, you know, with a flowing He doesn't come like that. He comes humbly. And as, as excited as you are to get into his presence is as excited as he is to meet with you as well. And the same feelings you feel in his glory are the same things I believe he feels when he gets near you. And there's mutual delight in intimacy. But what happens when we begin to pervert and twist worship and what worship really is, 
is we actually fall away from that place when worship becomes a means, listen, when worship becomes a mean of personal gain for you and it becomes just that, I'm telling you, worship can get stale and dry really quick because a lot of people say this. A lot of people say they want to do spiritual mapping. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's basically where you... <laughs> look at a certain region and you try to figure out what demons or spiritual powers are over that place. Like, well, I can tell you, I come from Appalachia. And if you say Appalachia, I'll throw an Appalachia, okay? And where I come from, where I come from, I, I, I'm telling you, like, there's, there's a lot of drug use, you know? There's a lot of, a lot of opioid abuse where I come from. Where, where I come from, ton of poverty, ton of religion. So we would say, oh man, there is principalities of religion and poverty and, 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 and drug use, addiction. It's all there. That may be true. That may be true. And I said last night, the way that we take down principalities is not by yelling at them and telling them to go. Jesus never did that, by the way, to principalities. But what, what he did do was obey his father. And in, in his obedience, he made everything bow down to him, right? But I digress. You know, Really, the truth of the matter is this, is that we don't take down principalities by yelling at them to go or binding them or, or those types of things. We do it by building a bigger one in worship. We build a bigger presence of God, if you will. We welcome the presence of God in our midst, and then every other thing has to bow down to that. But you know, the, 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 those spirits of, of addiction and so forth, and so, listen, guys, those things that are over our cities... God wants to displace them with worship, with pure worship, because he wants us to build a throne in the earth. Ephesians 2.21 says the whole thing is, is coming to this, is that we are building a dwelling place for God's spirit here in the earth. That's really so much of what this is about. First Peter uh, chapter 2, you are a royal priesthood, living stones, being built together into a dwelling place of God in the earth. God is trying to establish worship so he can make earth look like heaven, okay? This is a big, big deal. And so when worship becomes about how it makes us feel, how it becomes a means of personal gain, and for many in the worship movement, whether you're immune to this or, or ignorant of this, it is a truth that worship for many young people today is, I want to be on the stage, I want to be seen, I want to hit record, I want a Grammy, I want a this, I want a that. And so a lot of the most anointed worshipers coming up today I've seen, especially in America, they have this false pretense that success means that worship does something for me. I want to become the next big worship artist. I want to, you know, I want to be the person that everyone looks at as leading worship, this, that, and the other. This is where we find ourselves in the book of 1 Samuel. And when the priesthood goes away from just ministering to God as their number one vocation, when it becomes about them and not about the Lord, what happens is we lose presence. We actually lose the presence of God in our midst, and sometimes we lose it and we don't even realize we've lost it because we've gotten so used to the humdrum of religion, we don't even know what would happen if God actually showed up. And I, I was in a revival, and many of you guys know, I've been in many revivals, many moves of God. Thankfully, the Lord has just for whatever reason, I guess I'm too stupid. I'm just too dumb. And he's like, well, we can use him because he doesn't know any better. Maybe that's why. I don't know. But the Lord has showed up from Liberty University to, you know, our hometown to San Francisco to a bar on Bourbon Street that was hosting the presence of God for years. Let me tell you something. 
when God comes, like when his presence really shows up, I'm not talking about a domesticated presence. You know, there's a difference between a lion in a, at the zoo and a lion in the wild. It's a difference. They may look the same. They might even sound the same. But one is different than the other. And a lot of us have a domesticated presence of God. We treat the presence of God like a genie in a lamp. It's like, do two songs fast, two slow songs, God shows up. All right, move on with our agenda. Get back in your cage, Holy Spirit. We've had enough. We got our goosebumps. We're good for the, for the week. Let's move on. I mean, guys, we literally do. We, we almost treat the presence of God like a genie in a lamp. We do worship and rub the lamp. He comes out, give us our blessing. He gives us our three wishes, our blessing, right? I get my blessing. Worship is not about getting your blessing. Worship is about giving your blessing. Worship is about pouring out. Worship is about saying, I, I forget about myself. This is why worship is so powerful because worship is the place where you come and you say, I'm forgetting about me. Which, by the way, I just discovered that the word for me in, 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 now tell me if I'm wrong about this, in the Greek, ego, ego, me, myself, I, it, in the Greek is ego. Anybody know what ego is in, in English? So if it's all about you, 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 what I get from worship, you are missing out on the greatest, greatest encounters of your life. If worship is just about you getting something, I need to, listen, God will meet you where you're at, but I believe there is a people rising up right now, and I believe we are those people that say, God, we want to host your presence and forget about ourselves and get lost in you. That's why the presence of God, that's why worship is so powerful, because have you ever noticed you could be going through a horrible time in your life, horrible circumstances? You might be sick. You might have a loved one that's sick. You might have financial issues, relational problems. Something is awry in your life, but you get into the place of worship and you put your eyes on him instead of your issues and all of a sudden even though your circumstances don't change you feel peace it's like oh oh yeah it's going to be okay because he's with me no matter what he's going to be okay that's true worship that's where God wants us to get to you know in the book of Samuel we see a region we really see a nation that is actually without the word of God it's completely dry and dead. They're dead where they sit. Let's read verse 1 of chapter 3 and verse 2. Or I'll let, well, just, just verse 1, actually. Now the boy Samuel, old Sammy boy, was ministering to the Lord before Eli. That was the high priest at the time. And the word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. Other versions say there was no word of the Lord in those days. And there was no widespread revelation. In other words, what we see in the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel is a place where the land spiritually was dead. It was dead. They had no word of the Lord, and they had no widespread revelation. What I would co compare that to is there was no spiritual common sense. Nobody knew the things of the Spirit. You know, if I came in here and I say, okay, guys, let's, let's pray in the Spirit. Here... You might know what to do. You might say, okay, I'm going to pray in tongues. All right. Hey, guys, we're going to worship. Let's lift our hands. You understand certain things. In these days, they did not understand spiritual concepts, and nobody had the word of the Lord. And guess what Jesus said? Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this is true. You're not alive because you're eating food. You're alive because 
You're not alive because you're rich. You're not alive because you're well clothed. You're alive because the word of God is present in your life. It's active. So where there is no word of the Lord in Israel of this time, we see this picture that the land is desolate. But if you go back to chapter 2, and I don't have time to go into this in depth. If you go back to chapter 2, you'll read about why the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And why there was no widespread revelation. You know what I've come to find? Where there is no true worship, where there is no value, guys, for true worship, where there is no value for true presence of God, there's typically no prophetic culture. And where there's no prophetic culture, there's no vision. And where there's no vision, there you go. People perish. Hey, side note, I'm, I'm ADD. Great yogurt this morning, Debbie. Debbie makes yogurt. I don't know if you guys know this. She brought me some. It was the best yogurt I ever had. Thank God. My gut feels healed already. Praise the Lord. You, you've healed me. There you go. I was just a little squirrel. Sorry, I had to throw it out there. You, I hope you don't mind. You have no choice. I have the mic. If you get up and walk awkwardly out, I'm going to prophesy over you. If you, you can't even go to the bathroom. Seriously. I will prophesy. And it won't be a good prophecy. It will be a mean prophecy. Just kidding. You know, why is the word of the Lord rare? The word of the Lord was rare in those days because the worship movement had become about itself. There were the sons of the high priest Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. And these two men, the Bible is clear in chapter 2, they were running the worship. They were the leaders of the church in the day. That means when people would come to bring an offering to the Lord, come to church, if you will, they, they, they were all about themselves. It says they slept with women at the tent of meeting. They stole money. It says they even stole the offering of the Lord. So much so, the Bible records in chapter 2, it says, men abhorred. That means they hated, they detested. They detested the offering of the Lord. They didn't even want to do it because they knew that they were wicked. They were doing things for themselves. Worship to them, the priesthood to them, was a means of personal gain. And you've, you've heard it said, I've heard it said by some of my spiritual fathers, they'll say, girls, gold, and glory are the things that'll take any anointed minister out. And for, for women, maybe it's the opposite. I don't know. Never heard that. Men, gold, and glory? I don't know. That didn't sound as like good. Girls, gold, glory. Sounds better, right? It's a better preachy. Uh, more preachy. Hophni and Phineas guys, had made worship about themselves. People did not even want to worship in these days. So where there is no worship, there is no presence of God. And where there's no presence... I'm telling you, there's no prophetic activity because the word of the Lord comes from the presence of God. And if you don't realize this, just let me give you a quick story to show you what I'm saying. You can remember there's a verse, in, or, or a story rather, in 2 Kings where they come to Elisha. That's Elijah the prophet's protege. And they come to the prophet Elisha and they say, give us a word. We, the king needs a word right now. And what does Elisha do? He says, Bring me an anointed musician. And there is a difference. There is a difference. Not just any musician, an anointed musician. If you've never heard the difference, um, I will just tell you it's an intangible. You can't put, there, there's something about it. I, I, I've watched different musicians play at different times, and I've found that sometimes the ones who aren't as skilled, but their heart is right, are far more anointed and far more glory, God encounters happen in their worship than would someone with a perfect, beautiful voice or this or that. 
So he said, bring me an anointed musician and have him play. And when he starts to worship, I'll get the word of the Lord. I believe this, where there is no anointed, true, pure worship, the word of the Lord is rare. The priesthood in the beginning of 1 Samuel shows us a picture of a place where the prophetic vision was rare. And where people don't have the prophetic vision of God, there is death. If you don't know where you're going and what you're doing as a company of people, you will die. It will become a swamp. And what was meant to be a river of the Holy Spirit moving and touching things as it leaves the temple becomes a swamp where you just sit and get spiritually fat and you just get used to what everything's happening. It's all about you and it's all about, it's all about this and what happens here and it's, it's all about what happens to me. How was worship? Worship was great because I got touched. How was worship? Eh, it was okay. It was just kind of, it was kind of weird. Chris hit a few wrong keys. His keyboard went off. Chris over here tried soloing the whole time. It was miserable. It was just like I could not even worship God because he the whole time. So worship, become, worship becomes about us. This is what had happened with Hophni and Phinehas. And so in the verse 1 of chapter 3, it says this, this simple phrase. But Samuel the boy was ministering to the Lord before Eli, the high priest. And word from the Lord was rare in those days, and visions were infrequent. Do you understand all it took to change the tide of an entire nation was one person, one young person person came and actually ministered purely before the Lord. He simply ministered to God's heart. Do you know that's what the priesthood is? It's those who minister to the Lord first and foremost. Their vocation is to minister to his heart. That means I don't care how I felt during worship this morning. I do not judge the worship this morning. By the way, you don't have a right to judge the worship this morning either. There is one judge of the worship, and it's the recipient of the worship. He judged the worship this morning. He judges it. And every time from here on out, he's going to judge it. I don't, I don't judge. I don't judge it. I say, God, I, I just judge one thing. Did I pour myself out for you? Did I actually, did I just sing songs or did I really touch your heart, God? Did I really minister to you? These are the questions we're allowed to ask, I believe. And so the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And what happens? Samuel begins to minister to the Lord. And of course, we know the Lord calls Samuel as a prophet. Now skip up to chapter 4 because this is a continuation of a people who did not realize the value and the power of worship, of pure and true worship in spirit and truth. They did not grasp it. And it was done because the leaders did not add value to it. And, you know, guys, i got to just say this. You here at Gateway, this is a church that values the presence of God. Because if the presence of God is here, we will not move on past the presence. You know, we have to get a fresh honor for God's presence again. And what I mean by that is just this. We cannot treat something that happens normally as if it were common. Just because something happens normally doesn't mean it's common, you know? God's presence shows up pretty normally, I would say here, you know? But just because it shows up normally doesn't mean it's a common thing. When you start treating something common or familiar, you start to get just kind of stale to it. You just kind of get numb to it. It's like, eh, God's presence showed up. Okay, great, whatever. 
Yeah, God's presence. Or, yes, yeah, someone prophesied. Have you ever just stopped to think how used to pr- prophetic culture we get where it's like someone gives you a word from God. Hey, God showed me this about you. And, and that should happen. That's a good thing. But, you know, sometimes in really prophetic cultures, that's just something that is, is, is just assumed. Oh, God of heaven and earth is speaking through a human being something about my life only he could have known. No big deal. What happens is familiarity breeds contempt, and really familiarity robs us of honor. And if we don't have honor, we miss the blessing. We miss the blessing. Remember what Jesus said when, when Jesus was in his hometown? In his hometown. My hometown's two hours from here. My hometown's two hours from here. They only like, like it when I come now because I don't live there. If I live there, I'm not special anymore. You know what I mean? I'm not special. I'm not cool. And if you go to New Orleans right now, they don't think I'm special or cool. I'm just Chris. That's who I, maybe Pastor Chris, you know, but I'm Chris. And the reason why is because they know me and they've seen me day in, day out. Jesus was in his hometown. And what did he say? He said, I can do no mighty works in this place. The Bible says Jesus could do no mighty miracles in his hometown. And Jesus said, because a prophet is without honor in his own hometown or in his own home. In his own home. Sometimes I think Jesus is without honor in his own home. I think God shows up sometimes in our midst and we don't even honor him. You want to know what honor looks like? One thing that honor looks like is we stop when he comes in. In a a special way. Revival's like that. When God showed up in the bar on Bourbon Street, it was a great worship meeting. I felt the presence of God. But when God walked into the room, something shifted. I've been in good meetings, dude. I know good meetings. I know when God shows up. I I love it. But this was different because when he really shows up, you go, oh, so all that before was kind of, that really was the appetizer. This is the real thing. Because let me tell you something. When you taste God, his glory being poured out in an outpouring of his spirit, I'm telling you, some of you have forgotten. And that's okay because I forget very quickly too. I forget very quickly too, but when he comes like that, it demands a response. And it demands a response of honor. You can't just keep going on. Do you get it? Like when he comes like that, it, it's sovereign. In fact, when God came at Bourbon Street, and I know I referenced that, and I hope I'm not beating a dead horse, but when I reference Bourbon Street and what happened there, God pouring out his spirit in revival in a bar and people getting saved. Let me tell you something. Guys, I stop and I honor. If the king of a nation walked in right now, if, if a queen walked into the room, if the president walked in the doors right now, or maybe pushed in a wheelchair through the doors right now, if they did that, then what would happen is we would probably stop. And um, just a side note, since I threw a little shade at the president, I would just say this, like, um, it's really hard to pray for someone you're constantly critiquing, but I'll move on. Um, so if the president came in, we would do the right thing to honor the position. Not just the man, but the position. And so if he comes in, and you, we, what would we do? We would stop. Would we, would we just keep doing what we're doing? I mean, if the Queen of England walked in, would you just keep doing what you're doing? No, you would stop, and you would show honor. And you would say, dude, what do you do when a bride comes in? You stand up, and you, you stand up for the bride. That's honor. You stop, and you pay attention. That's what honor looks like. When my spiritual father speaks to me and tells me things, sometimes things I don't want to hear, a lot of times things I don't want to hear. You know, I stop and I listen. 
Have you ever been in the presence of someone great? I mean, really great. And they got to have gray hair, not like a young great person. I'm talking about an old great person. Some of you are like, I am the old great person you're talking about. Praise the Lord, sister. You know, you, you, you talk to someone great, you shut up and you listen because you don't know what you're talking about. You know what I'm saying? You don't get it. You, you might be smart. You might be gifted. You might be powerful. But there's people. I love spiritual authority when it comes into the room because it doesn't have to flaunt itself to, to know that it's there. When someone walks in authority, and some of you are called to that, when someone walks in authority, you don't have to tell people how cool you are, how great you are, what you've done. Real spiritual authority speaks for itself. Honor stops. We stop. So when the presence of God comes in his own home and we don't stop for him and say, whoa, God's here and he's doing something. That looks like honor. That says, yeah, we had an agenda. Yeah, I had a word I wanted to preach. Yeah, we got to tell people about the church picnic after, after service. But guess what? He's in the room right now. So everything stops. This is what honor looks like. When you honor the presence, I'm telling you what happens is the word of God begins to flow. The prophetic begins to flow. You begin to see. You begin to hear. You begin to understand what God has for your life. Everything becomes clear. If you're wondering what to do with your life, I have a little secret for you. Get in his presence alone and let him speak to you. And if you're having trouble hearing, you probably have trouble shutting up. I know this from experience. I know it from experience. He'll speak if you'll just stay quiet long enough, right, to let him talk to you. And it will speak in that deep place of your, of your heart, that whisper in your heart. He will speak with you. He's not far away. His sheep do hear his voice. Jesus wasn't lying. If you don't hear his voice, maybe you stopped being a sheep. Maybe you stopped being led and started leading yourself. That's what happens. If we say, people say, I can't hear God's voice. I can't hear God's voice. You want to know why you can't hear God's voice? I've typically had trouble hearing God's voice when I'm trying to do my thing my way. And when I do things my thing my way, it ends up crappy every time. It really does. I've done it. It ends up a mess when I do things my way. So Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. He didn't say, my shepherds hear my voice. My sheep, listen, you're a sheep. If you will let yourself be led, you will hear his voice. Make sense? But if you try doing it your own way, you're not a sheep anymore. You might not hear his voice. What happens in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel is this, is the presence of God is actually stolen from the people of God. This was a, 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 something that was bound to happen. Now, the presence of God in the Old Testament was represented by an ark. So in the Old Covenant, the presence of God was, was this, the ark of the covenant. It had the angels coming up. And Has anybody ever been to a church, a real charismatic church? Where you, have you all ever had an ark here? No. You never had the hot topic flame, like the fake flame flapping in the wind over the ark? Well, you've seen what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you just need to get in church more. It's a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, if you've ever seen that ark, that, is the, that was the mercy seat. To them, that was the manifest presence of God to them. That's why they would take the ark into battle. It was as if they were taking God's throne itself into battle. They, they, they looked upon the ark of the covenant as the very manifest presence, the seat the throne of God in the earth. That's how it was. It was a powerful picture to them. Powerful symbolism. So what happens in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel is this. Is the Philistines come to battle. You can mark in this and, and, and find it. Um, but they bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord into the camp. 
And all of Israel shouted. They go, hey, God's throne's here. We're about to win the battle. You know what I'm saying? It's like Debo showing up to fight for you. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you don't know who Debo is. Okay. I guess I'm just too much of a sinner. I don't watch those nasty movies either, but, you know, my friends do, and they tell me about them. So it's like, you know, if you, had, if you was about to get in a fight, if you was about to get in a fight and the rock showed up, and you was like, oh, yeah, now we on now. That's, that's what's up. We're going to win this fight now. Okay, come on. Where you at? That's what happened when the Ark of the Covenant came into the battle. So Israel said, look, the Ark is here. We're going to win. But do you understand what happened in this, in this story? Because of the evil and the wickedness of the priesthood at the time, the worshipers of the time, they lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines, and the Philistines capture the Ark in chapter 5. And I, again, I'm trying to move fast. I don't want to belabor some of these small points. I mean, I could probably spend hours on just one chapter, so I'm going to go quick through it. But they take the Ark of the Covenant. Essentially, the presence of God was removed from the people of God's midst. Why? Because worship was not valued Presence was not valued, and there was no word of the Lord, no widespread revelation, no spiritual understanding, because it didn't, it, they, they had lost the very thing that made them different in the earth, and it's the presence of God. They lost it. And I talked about this last night, but if you read in chapter 5, and I love this, let's read it, chapter 5, verse 1. Let's just read the Bible a little bit. That'd be good. Now the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer, to ask God. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon. Dagon was their God. Dagon was their God. That was their, their false idol. And they set it next to Dagon. This would have been a statue, guys. And, and, and there's varying ideas about this, but at least a 12-foot statue that represented this false God that the Philistines worshiped. So they're like, hey, we've got essentially the same thing of the Jews. We have their idol. That's probably how they looked at it. Let's set it in our temple as a sign that, you know, we're victorious. When the Ashdodites arose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. Did you get that? Isn't that funny? Wherever the presence of God goes, every other thing bows down. Every other thing bows down. That's why we don't know the idols that are set up even in our own hearts. You know, sometimes we don't, we don't know the idols we have. We don't know the idols we have. In fact, some of our idols actually become disguised because they were things in the past that set us free, but they're no longer what God is doing or using in our life, and we stay somewhere where God has not asked us to stay. I don't know if you're familiar with this verse, but... How, if you, if you recall in the wilderness, when Moses was in the wilderness, God told him there's an outbreak of a curse that broke out among the people. And, and people were being bitten by snakes and dying, and it was this horrible curse. And Moses went to the Lord and said, Lord, what do I do? How do I save our people? And he said, I want you to craft and raise up a bronze serpent and just raise up and make a bronze serpent wrapped around a pole. Has anybody ever seen that with the Red Cross? You've seen the serpent around the pole? This was called, the, the Israelites actually had a name for the bronze serpent. And God said, put the bronze serpent up, and whoever looks at it will be healed. That's all. Just look at the serpent, you'll be healed. The Israelites called this bronze serpent Nehushtan. Nehushtan. 
And you can find it later on in Chronicles because here's what happens. During the time of Josiah the king, later on, I'm fast forwarding, later on in Israel's history, there was a young king named Josiah. And the Bible says that he had a tender heart to the Lord. Do you want to know how you can see idols in your own life and even in the church in different places that others may not see? Have a tender heart. A tender heart is a way to see. A tender heart, I'm going to say that, a tender heart is a good way to have good vision. If you're tender in your heart, it means you're willing to hear something that might go against what you previously thought was true. A tender heart is everything. Tenderness, Josiah was a tender-hearted king, and I, I just want to give you this little tidbit. The Bible says in Josiah's reign, Nehushtan, the bronze serpent, was actually still around. Wouldn't it be, though? I mean, imagine this. Your ancestors got healed in the wilderness from this bronze thing. That's a, that's a relic. It's, if nothing else, it's like you're going to keep it up at the church, you know, hang it up on the wall or something. At least put it in the pastor's office. You know what I mean? So Nehushtan is the bronze serpent. But do you know what it says? When Josiah reigned in Israel, they had kept that bronze serpent, as they probably should have, for many, 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 many years after the wilderness. But it says they would burn incense to it. And they began to actually worship Nehushtan, the serpent, the bronze serpent. They worshiped it. Because what we do, when we get delivered by a certain way, or a certain in a certain camp, or by a certain minister, or through a certain design or paradigm, oftentimes the thing that brought us deliverance, we attribute it to that way instead of to the Lord Himself. And so we inadvertently start to worship a way of getting free rather than the Lord of freedom himself. And it's a tricky, slippery slope, right? Because a lot of us, I've seen people, they come out of this camp of the church or that thing of the church. Or, hey, I got free doing this, and by God, that's how I got free, and that's how everyone's going to get free till kingdom come, and that's just how it is. And we inadvertently worship something that set us free, like the bronze serpent. And they worshiped it. You know what Josiah did? He actually ground it up. He ground it up and destroyed because what was a thing of freedom and deliverance that God used actually became an idol of worship. Wow. Crazy, right? Because if you stay on the thing, there's certain principles, yeah, we never leave. But I'm telling you this, guys. Oftentimes the things God uses to deliver us will become those, those idols, those monuments of things past. Of things past. It really will. And so my point is this, is that... They had set the Ark of the Covenant in this idol Dagon statue's temple. And they set it there, and every morning when they came in, Dagon had fallen down on its face. And what eventually happened is they kept putting him back up, propping it back up. You know what eventually happened? The thing fell and smashed. Every idol gets smashed when the presence of God gets welcomed in. You want to know how to get deliverance in your own life from idols? I'll tell you this, first of all, you don't even know what deceives you because the definition of deception is that you don't know it's there. So the only way to, first of all, to not be deceived, first is to be tender and be humble and consider that just maybe you're not right. Just maybe. Maybe you don't have all the information. Just maybe God's doing something that you don't understand. I love that verse in the scripture where Jesus says, what I'm doing now you don't understand, but later you will. 
My God, if he's not said that to me before. I'm like, I'm dying here. This sucks. I hate this place. I hate this season. I hate everything about life right now. I don't know. What are you doing to me, God? I feel like I'm trying to follow you. And he goes, what I'm doing now, you don't understand, but you will later. That's the, that's the words of the Lord. I believe this. I believe what we see in the first five chapters of Samuel is this. God is bringing a nation back to himself. And as he always does, what is the first thing that has to get set straight? The worship has to be put in its proper place. Worship. Every time Israel went astray, the Bible will say, and they returned to the ways of their father David. In other words, they, they went back to real, pure Davidic worship. Every time worship is restored and is pure and true, deliverance happens, freedom happens, revival gets poured out, awakening happens, reformation happens, cities are changed, the whole nine yards. And what I, I can't show you, I might show you in the next session a little bit. Yeah, that's actually what I will do. I'll show you in the next time. I'll show you in the next session at two. Is that God was bringing Israel to its greatest place of blessing that it would ever experience in history, even up until current day. The greatest economic time of history was in the book of 1 Samuel. Do you know why? Because worship was primary. Everything revolved around worshiping God. Even revival in Ezra was poured out. Why? Ezra says in, in, in Ezra chapter 9, it says, God has given us revival. People say revival is not in the Bible. Yes, it is. It's absolutely in the Bible. He said, you have given us revival so that we may build a place for the presence of the Lord. In other words, God gives revival to establish pure worship and a place for his presence in the earth. I'm telling you guys, this is the meat of what we're talking about. And it even goes to a personal level because you say, well, that's great, dude. You want to host the presence of God in like your church or your city? Okay, wonderful. But how does that change people? Well, let me tell you something. If you want to know how it changes people, ask Paul and Silas what happened when they established worship in the prison. The prison doors flew open. And the prisoners who didn't even want anything to do with their worship, they got free too just by, just by the nature of proxy. They were just close enough to get the blessing. You, you, you think it's not real? You think, it, you think this is some pie-in-the-sky cool preacher thing that I like to talk about? It's actually real. You want to know? I've seen it with my own eyes. I've worshipped in a place that was filled with darkness. And I've watched what happened when God's presence simply comes in worship. I've seen women on Bourbon Street that were three sheets to the wind drunk in a corset walk in, experience the presence of God, fall over and roll around like Pentecostal Patricia. She'd never been to church in her whole life. And she's rolling around the ground speaking in tongues. Guys, let me tell you something. The presence of God, this is real. This is what God wants to do. He's looking for people to say, will you go back? I'm going to tell you, some of you, God's going to call back to the place where you were in bondage. He'll call you back to the prison, the place where you were in bondage so you can bring freedom. I, I believe in this so much. I've lived this. I've lived this. I'm telling you, I remember, you know, going to the worst neighborhood in my city where prostitution and and, and where I used to buy a lot of good drugs, actually. And I went back to the place, and I would sit in the ghetto and literally play my guitar and just sing while everybody kind of go, what is this white boy doing right now? What is he doing right now? I would sit there and worship God literally on the, on the corner of the street because I believe when I worship that demons leave. They can't stay. That when I worship... 
Heaven comes because I'm in agreement with heaven. And when I'm in agreement, heaven starts to manifest. And then people get saved. And I've seen it. People get saved just by your presence. Do you know just you being who you are filled with God? When you go somewhere, you carry heaven with you. Do you realize you're not just a weak, powerless person that's trying to survive through life? God actually has empowered you. And you access that power by being a worshiper. That's what you do. You actually access the realm of heaven. And if you don't, then the word of the Lord is rare in your life. And idols will run amok in your life because you don't know what they are because we don't even know what our idols are. I mean, Israel lived with idols for generations. They didn't even know they were idols. They were like, well, there's, we worship Yahweh, but there's also, you know, the, 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 the Ashdod poles and the Ishra and the this and the Baals and all the stuff. And we just, we kind of have it all around. We don't know the idols we have in our life. And oftentimes... God is trying to get us to a place of worship where our heart becomes tender enough so he can actually reveal them and set us free, really free. I remember, and I'll close with this story. I remember uh, moving into a neighborhood in Chillicothe, Ohio. Me and my wife bought our first home, and it was a little two-bedroom home, and we were pregnant with, with our second. And uh, I just think it's really funny. I guess I'm just that much of a hillbilly or, or a redneck or something, or I'm just completely... Yeah, I'm just white trash at the end of the day. But uh, we, we had, you know, I want to have a house. I want to be done with school, and then we'll start having kids. I'm like, brother, we was living in the ghetto in a one-bedroom studio with a kid. Like, we're just that white trash. So anyway, um, we move into this house, and we move across from a church even. So I'm like, it's a, it, it looked nice. And then I had led a lot of my friends out of the, out of the I actually led my, one of my favorite drug dealers to the Lord. I'm sure other people weren't happy about that. I was happy about that. And he came to my house, and he was like, and I had told Danielle, we had moved in, my wife. I said, babe, I think the guy beside us is a drug dealer. She's like, don't tell me that. I thought we moved out of the ghetto. I thought we moved to a nicer place. I'm like, I did too, man. Like, it, it seems nice. But I noticed people parking their cars over here, and then people walk in, and then a few minutes later, they walk out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? So I knew what was happening. I knew that somebody was, was getting some stuff, you know, because I did the same thing before. So I, I like, yeah, people walking through our, okay, I start to put the two pieces together. And Danielle said, why don't we just worship? Let's just pray. Worship in our home. If we believe the presence of God is, is not just a goosebump, but the presence of God is the face of the Lord himself coming, and that wherever he is, evil can't stay. Dagon has to fall down. Let's believe that whatever evil is going on there, God's going to do something. I said, okay. So we started worshiping, and I kid you not, it was like three weeks later. We just worshiped. We prayed. We didn't even really specifically pray for the guy next door, but we just worshiped, and we just said, God, you're welcome on this street. You're welcome in this neighborhood, God. You're welcome here. We worship you. We, we just pray your presence would just rest on this neighborhood, this street. I'm outside, and I have my dad uniform on, which if you don't know what it is, um, as you get older, you're allowed to wear certain things that you couldn't before. So, like, I'm now getting to the place where I can kind of do some dad stuff, which is short shorts, tall white socks, black Reeboks from Walmart, and like a wife beater, right? And so I'm outside, and my dad get up, and I'm pressure washing my house. I told y'all I was white trash. What are you doing? You don't believe me? I'm, I'm out here pressure washing my house. It's a beautiful day, and the jump out boys come. That is the SWAT team, and they pull up in front of the neighbor's house, 
and they get old boy, and they busted the guy for, I mean, he had so much powder on him, my God, could have been a makeup factory. This guy had so much, so much cocaine, and he had so many drugs, all this stuff, and they busted him. And so he gets an F5, he's done, like, it's, it's over for him, pretty much, but he gets out on bail. So first of all, I'm thinking, praise God. The Lord has literally intervened because we are here, God is here. And because God is here, he, evil will not exist in this place. God wants to take people to the dark places to bring his presence, right? And so it gets better because then the guy gets let out. And uh, guy's nickname, Animal. That tells you all you need to know. Stood about six foot seven, six six, three hundred pounds, uh, kind of a wild looking dude. And, um, man, he got off on bail awaiting trial and uh, ended up talking to the guy one day. Like, shortly after he got out. This all happened very quickly, and I just made friends with him. And I, we played basketball together, and I led him to the Lord the first day I met him. Led him to Jesus right there. So, literally, he starts coming. My wife starts feeding all the neighborhood kids popsicles along with your boy Animal who's sitting on my porch with a bunch of kids eating popsicles with us. This is Animal, the cocaine dealer, right here on my front porch hanging out with my kids eating popsicles. Praise Jesus. Jesus is awesome. He does not care. He is not afraid. The Lord is not afraid and he sure ain't offended. He will get with anybody. He will roll into any dark place. He will touch the darkest hearts. It doesn't matter. And so this guy's on my porch, and literally I'm discipling this guy for probably two months. And then he, he of course, went to trial, and I, I'm sure he's leading massive revivals in prison to this day. It didn't end with him getting out of prison, I will have you know. Um, you know, the Lord didn't go that far, but he did save this man's soul and sent him full of the fire of God and the Holy Spirit into, in, into that, that journey that, that he's on. And, man, I just tell you this because I want you to understand worship is powerful. This is not a game. This is not... Uh, an addendum. This is not an appetizer. It's not a la carte. You don't say, oh, well, we worship. Worship is integral to who you are. If you're not a worshiper, guys, I'm telling you, and it might manifest differently, but I want to encourage you in this. Where you are, you have to have a private prayer and worship life. You have to. You have to. Have, if worship is only the thing you do when you come to church, you are missing out on so much. You're missing out on so much of the glory. There are songs I've sang to the Lord in private that no human ear will ever hear. There are moments I've had in his presence in private that would, I mean, nothing I've had in public could rival. I encourage you there because it's in that place he can speak to the depth of me. It's in that place my heart gets tenderized. It's also in that place that God reminds me that the spirit in me is greater than the spirit of the world and that I am never powerless that I am always, always filled with his power. Worship connects me to that place. And where there is pure worship, there is the word of the Lord that flows. The word of the Lord that comes strong. You need the word of the Lord. You need strategy. You need something. Get on your knees. Joshua worshiped the Lord. He took off his shoes and worshiped the Lord. And the Lord gave him the strategy to take Jericho. Literally from the place of worship. I believe worship is a place we receive that heavenly download. We forget about ourselves. We focus on him. What we focus on becomes magnified. And what's magnified eventually manifests. So we take our eyes off ourselves. 
We say, it's about you. We magnify his attributes. We magnify who he is. And we magnify his word. And then what happens is those things begin to manifest in our lives. Guys, I'm telling you, the Lord wants to get our focus, our attention. That's really what worship is, is that we just give him our attention, our honor, our, 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 our eyes. We give him our gaze. That's what he's looking for. 